Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann is dedicated to teachers. Think back to the last good book you read. Did you visit a new place, meet new people, learn a new language? I'm Brett from Heinemann, and today on the podcast, Lester Laminack and Katie Kelly want students and teachers to learn the ways that reading can change lives. In their new book, Reading to Make a Difference, Lester and Katie expand on the work of Rudine Sims Bishop as they build a framework for diverse and inclusive literature practices that encourage students to seek out new experiences while also validating their own identities. They write that books give us, quote, the ability to gain new perspectives the freedom to think for ourselves, and the power to choose what we do with our new insights. Our conversation began with how Lester and Katie developed their ideas together. For me, what motivated me to write this is because as a child, and and what I write about is what it was like growing up as um, a child of a single parent and um, really struggling financially, and how that affected me in terms of my place in the world and understanding myself and understanding others. I didn't see kids in books that were like me, and so I really didn't connect as much with reading. And it reminds me of what Walter Dean Myers writes in his piece for the New York Times, Where Are the People of Color in Children's Literature? And he talks about how, as a kid, it was hard for him to connect with reading because he didn't see characters like himself. And it wasn't until he read James Baldwin's Sonny's Blues, he realized that his, his people and his community in Harlem were, were being represented. And so that's what inspired him to write his, quote, landscape. So all that to say, I think for me and for us, we talk a lot about the role of having inclusive literature where where all people, all ways of being, all identities are represented um, is, is really important because that's what will help motivate and engage readers and, and help them just understand themselves and their place in the, the world around them. For me, I think it this whole project began at a writing retreat. Several years ago, I lived in um, Beaufort, South Carolina, in the Lowcountry, and would host um, a writing retreat for four of us together, and Katie was in that group. We just designated a weekend and spent time reading together, and Katie was working on an article that was playing off of Rudine Sims Bishop's work with windows, mirrors, and doors, which was work that I was familiar with. And we started just talking about some issues she was working through in the article. And the more we talked, we just sort of mushroomed this article into a book. And it's like, we could, so she's, do you want to work on this with me? And it's like, yeah, you know, absolutely. And, you know, when we did that piece in the introduction, I mean, actually that was, we wrote the introduction well into the manuscript. We had an introductory piece, but as the book evolved, Holly asked us if we were willing to share you know, our personal connection to this piece, and we drafted those little biographical pieces. And in similar ways, you know, that invisible identity piece, I come from a different generation than Katie. I'm 20 years older than her. So I grew up in the rural South, in the middle of Jim Crow, and I'm white and a male. It gives me privilege. But I was also a gay child, 
and knew it, but there was no conduit for that. There was no place for you to embrace who you were or even admit who you were. And so my life was spent trying to deny it or hide it or in places even being repulsed by it because it was a piece of you that you were taught was not appropriate and there was no place for it. So, you know, I didn't even look to books to try to find me because the piece of me that was the core of who I am was something that I didn't expect to see any place in the world, you know, because as far as what I was taught, that part of me had no right in the world. So literature couldn't be my conduit. Now, if I had been born a child in this generation, there's plenty of literature that validates the fact that who I am is a natural part of humanity, and I might have been a different person, you know, at that place. So we had this sort of drive between us that the whole concept of diverse books is more than just seeing your face in a book, that we need to push toward the notion that, you know, we recognize our humanity and other characters, whether they look like us or not. And clearly we need more books where children recognize their faces. That needs to be the front porch that has come into literature. But once you step across the threshold and move into the house of story, then you've got to be able to resonate with everything that's in there. So part of our push is to have children recognize that even if someone doesn't look like you, the core of their humanity is there and that that humanity is present in all of us. So in previous work that I've done, uh, Bullying Hurts, you know, the focus of that book was to begin with the concept that everything that makes you human is present in every other human on the globe. And then to push to the place where inside the human family, there are natural differences. And those differences are only an issue when we assign positive or negative value to them. If we can simply wrap our head around the notion that difference is what makes humanity interesting and allows us to have variety and offer options across the globe, it's when we understand and embrace that notion that our humanity elevates. And so this was just an opportunity to extend that kind of thinking and Katie's work and her dissertation and her new energy and a 20-year difference brings a new fresh view to something that gives this a new take. And it just made it an exciting project to work on. You talked about the mirrors, windows, doors, work, and bridges as well. And all of that is an important part of the introduction of your book. You focus a lot of time on leading us through that work. Why is that so crucial? How does that set up the framework of the rest of the work that you do in the book? Well, if you go back to Redeen's work, you know, the idea of the mirror is to recognize yourself, to, to let literature be something that allows you to see a reflection of who you are so that that validates your existence. If there are no people like you in the books you're given to read in school or find in the library, then in some ways there's a subliminal message to you that you don't exist, that your presence is not valued in the dominant culture. So we need to be able to see reflections of ourselves inside what we read and what's made available to us by the powers that run school. So if you have the teacher, the principal, librarian handing you material that you're not represented in, you get the message that who you are is not important. The windows of that is to look at literature 
as a vehicle that allows you to see beyond yourself, to be recognizing that what you have known your whole life is not the whole world, and that what your culture has shown you of how the world works is a limited perspective, no matter who you are, no matter what stance you come from, no matter how much privilege you have or don't have, there is a bigger universe than what you know. And literature offers you the opportunity to recognize that you fit into a very broad spectrum of things. And it allows you the opportunity to stand and look at it and make a decision as to whether or not you cross the threshold and try something different. You step into a new way of thinking. You broaden your friendship circle. You explore new concepts and ideas. So the doorways offer you opportunities to step into something bigger and beyond yourself. And so for us, it gave us a framework to look at approaching sets of books that allowed children to extend what they already knew and what they brought, and knowing that inside a classroom, there's already a diverse population. Even if this room is all boys, or this room is all white, or this room is all African-American, even in a, what looks like a homogenous grouping, there is diversity. And the more we explore that, the more we recognize our common similarities as humans. I would add, too, that I think one of our goals was to really help teachers expand their repertoires of children's literature, move beyond that traditional canon of books and returning to our favorites time and time again. And of course, there's nothing wrong with that. But a lot of times when I'm out in schools and doing workshops with teachers, they're so excited about all the different books I bring. And I said, well, where did you find those? I don't know about these books. And so we really wanted to be able to provide teachers with a collection of books that represent so many different voices and authentic stories so that it will be mirrors and, and windows for the children in, in classrooms everywhere. But also to move beyond just providing teachers with a, a list of books, but to help give them this framework to, to move through the books to help facilitate conversations that help the children think deeply about the big ideas, to move them into spaces where they're comfortable having these discussions about who they are, what their stories are, and creating spaces for other voices and stories with those windows are, are really important. And so we want to help provide teachers with a framework to do some of this work because we, we recognize that some of these topics may be new or unfamiliar or, or maybe even uncomfortable to talk about. And, and I think that's really important that we help each other and support each other move through some of these big ideas. And that framework helps us do that. When we think about, you know, who are the children in your classroom? The kids in my classroom in, in upstate New York might be very different than the kids in my classroom in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so I want to make sure that I'm intentionally selecting books that tell their stories. And so I think it's important that we move beyond kind of canned lists of books mm -hmm. and really be reflective about who we are, who our kids are, listen to their voices, let the children bring in book suggestions as well, and move to the space where we can have some really deep and important conversations around our stories and the stories of the characters in the books to create empathy, really, for one another. And I think that's needed. This idea of we want to create bridges and connections and we build up against one another. 
in the book, you take us into the classrooms that you've been doing this work in. How have you seen the impact of your work take effect in both the students and the teachers? I would love to share about one of the teachers, actually, that we feature in the video footage. And she's a fifth grade teacher, and we had some conversations about how she could use this framework and select literature to align with a particular unit that they were working on. And in this case, she teaches at a predominantly Islamic school. And it was really important for her to select text that represented her children. Actually, they participated in the Global Read Aloud, which at that time was the book A Long Walk to Water, which is a story about a refugee in South Sudan. So they were talking about refugees, and for these children, it was really important for them to to read these stories about refugees from different parts of the world and different stories during the Holocaust, for instance. So understanding what this means across time. So what this teacher did was very intentionally select text to align with her social studies unit but with her students in mind as she's making these decisions all the way along. And then designed reading and writing lessons, research lessons, technology integration all around this so that the students moved from this collection of texts to reading informational texts related to the content, doing research based on topics that they were interested in within this big idea of crossing borders, Ultimately, moving through the writing process approach to teach others about what they've learned and created infographics. The last stage of our framework is action. And and I think this is such an important part of it because we want kids to move beyond the reading experience to do something. And in this case, they decided to take action to do something to help refugees. And so they designed an entire week focused on a refugee awareness week, which culminated in a refugee walk in the community, and they raised over $3,000 for an organization. So all that to say how it impacted the teachers and the students. The kids are still coming back to the teacher. They're now in middle school because that was they were in fifth grade last year. They are coming back to the teacher saying, okay, so what can we do this year? Can we come back to the elementary school and, and do some more of that type of work? And the teacher this year with her fifth graders has extended this framework to a new unit with environmental studies. So bringing it into her science and all integrated seamlessly. Um, So the students are starting with a novel uh, hoot and lots of informational articles and other books that align, moving them toward this action piece where they're gonna do an environmental survey of the school and do research about what can be done to help improve the area around the school. And so this teacher has been transformed to think about teaching in a new way, to think about how do I select text that really aligns with who my students are, what we're learning about, and how can I move them towards reading and writing and listening and speaking and using their voice and putting the power in their hands to do something as a result of all of these reading and writing experiences. And so the kids are transformed, the teacher is transformed because her she just has a whole new look on the way she teaches and the way that the kids are learning. And so I think that's been a really neat example that you can read about in the book and then watch some of the video footage that goes with it. So if you look at the book, we identify several issues, topics, and then we offer a suggested list of books that you would move through, moving from a more simple text to a more complex text, giving kids an opportunity to develop a conceptual framework for the idea. Knowing that as you move through those texts, you will become acquainted with the idea, see yourself in some pieces of it, maybe not in others, 
And then the next more complex text will kind of broaden that view, open the window a bit for you to see something. And once you look through that window and you see something beyond what you know already, and you become conscious of an issue that you feel is not quite right, the most common thing that children say is, that's not fair. And it's that recognition of an inequity that places you in a position where now you hold knowledge that you didn't hold before. And what we're trying to lead children and teachers toward is once you gain knowledge, you have a moral obligation to do something. And that leaves you with the decision, do I simply know and do nothing and carry on as before, which is an option? Do I know and tell others and hope that I spark change? Or is there something I can do personally, which I would look at as a me compass? Or is there something we can do collectively that I would look at as a we compass? So that moral compass is either going to be individual or collective. And having those conversations with teachers, you know, where a teacher basically doesn't tell them, let's do something to change this, but simply says, you know, if you think it's unfair, what can we do? Is there anything you can do to make it better? Could we do something? Maybe the school, could you get someone involved? And it's an issue of simply posing the question to create a scaffold for the children to walk out on and take a risk that perhaps they wouldn't have taken if the literature hadn't taken them there. But within those issues with the text, there is not an issue of moving through the text and choosing topic, 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 topic. Rather, it's an issue of moving through those to become acquainted with the process of selecting books that work for a certain issue that you want to teach, scaffolding those books so that you move kids through the more complex thinking, and then setting them up so that they reach a point that they feel compelled to do something. And to recognize that although we are small, we can do something about this. It may be something small and simple, but there is this sense of self, the sense of completion when you do something with this new knowledge. Our intention with taking you through that process is to change the way you think about books. It's like a little paradigm shift so that now you look at anything you need to teach and you have this framework in your mind. You have this notion of collecting text and moving your kids toward it. So that will change the way teachers look at the potential for it. And it will also lead children to this notion that when I read, I need to think about how am I different now that we've read this book? And with that new knowledge, does it change the way I behave? Does it change the way I think? Does it change the way I interact with other humans? What do I do with this difference as an experience from having read that text? You know, in the book, you say school is where children first encounter what is beyond their sense of normal and that they often look for the familiar. Why is that? When children come to school, what they bring with them, and I'm thinking of kids in preschool, kindergarten, first grade, whatever your entry point is into the institution of school, you're coming out of a closed network. Your family, your extended family, your preschool, what you know is pretty much provincial. And when you step into school, you are suddenly integrated into a group of people who will have some overlap with your experiences and some differences with your experiences. So suddenly you're exposed to things you never knew existed. Like, you don't eat cereal for breakfast? Oh my God, everybody eats cereal for breakfast because that's all I know breakfast to be. And so the idea that you might eat eggs and bacon and biscuits and gravy, like you have that for breakfast, is something that confronts your sense of normal. 
that makes you go, wait a second, breakfast is more than this? And that's a very simple kind of level. But you know, when you walk into a new situation, you look for what is familiar because it gives you a sense of normalcy, gives you a sense of comfort. It lets you kind of feel where you fit in. But children are confronted with all this variation. And so one of the things we're looking at is, so how do you help kids figure out how we're alike and how we're different and how we celebrate the difference while recognizing the similarity, which comes back to the work we did in Bullying Hurts and extends you know, that thinking to a new level. I think the word normal is very dangerous. And so I think that's kind of the idea of the windows, is that windows will help us to disrupt this idea of normalcy and to move beyond what's familiar. And that's really important, you know, in, in particular, I believe in this climate today where we're seeing very divisive ideas and views, it's, it's important that we expand our idea of what is normal, because I, I don't know if there is such a thing, to be quite honest. And I think that the books really allow children to expand their understanding. And the books are really just this conduit. It's just a starting point or a springboard, because it's really our responsibility as educators to facilitate these conversations and to create these safe spaces where children can talk about these types of things. You use the breakfast example, and um, there's lots of, I'm thinking of a couple of great books, um, like the sandwich swap. I can't help but always go back to the books, um, where a child has something different for lunch. I think this, the child's eating hummus. And let's be honest, this is a reality. Some kids will say, ooh, you know, you're eating such and such. Let's talk about that. Let's embrace our differences. Let's actually everybody try hummus, right? So I think creating those spaces in the classrooms where we can begin to disrupt this idea of what is normal is part of where we are going with with the work in this book. Let's go back to the videos because I don't think we've talked enough about that. You've got a lot of great videos mm -hmm. that you've accompanied this book. Tell us a little bit about what surprised you in that work. Well, the videos are allowing us to go in and they're a window. They're a way for you to peek into a classroom and see how this looks in practice. Because it is a video and because this process takes place across a long period of time, this is not a one and done kind of thing, you're only seeing a snippet of something, but you're seeing one piece of that process. So you may be seeing children interact, you maybe see kids at the beginning of this process, you may see something that's culminating an event, but it allows you to take a look at what the teachers are doing, what the kids are doing, how the literature is impacting that, how the conversations go, how teachers scaffold for it, what children do away from the teachers when they're working independently or in small groups. And it gives you a way to look at the thinking in practice. What surprised us was how brilliant the kids are. I think it was amazing to watch the insights that children had that even though they're very small, the idea that if you take this slow and peel back layers at a time, that the kids actually wrap their heads around it and the empathy that they bring, they're still young enough that they're completely in touch with their humanity. And they're not so jaded yet as adults get that they let their biases or the biases of the world kind of overshadow their common humanity. And so what they go to is this notion of the core of kindness of we have to fix this. There is this drive in children, we have to fix this, we have to make this right, and we can make this right. Where adults tend to say, well, you know, that's more than we can manage, that's something we can't do. 
how many adults go, my vote doesn't count. Mm -hmm. A child believes my wish counts, my words count, my action counts. And I think what maybe doesn't surprise us, but it delights us, is that they are so present Mm -hmm. in doing that work. I think of Linda Sue Park's TED Talk, Can a Children's Book Change the World? And her response to that is she says, the book itself doesn't change the world, but the child who reads the book can. And I think that's Mm. what we see a lot with the kids in the classrooms that we're in, that they have this motivation and this drive. They're inspired from the reading and the discussions around the reading, that they do want to go out there and, and make a difference in Mm -hmm. their lives and the lives of their peers in the community in which they live and in the the country and in the world. And so I think that that's really exciting. One of the things that I think is really nice about this book and, and the video package is speaking from a teacher lens myself as a teacher, you know, oftentimes we are in our little isolated silos in our classrooms and it's really hard for us to to get out and go into the classroom next door or the classroom across the hall. I know one of the things I love doing is talking to my colleagues about how they're teaching and what texts they're using and very rarely have the opportunity to see what that looks like in action. And so one of the things that we decided to do with this book is to really highlight classroom examples in each chapter to walk the reader through what that might look like. And of course, that's just that teacher's classroom. But the reader can take these ideas and make it work for their own demographics and their own units and select the text that they think would be best. But with having those classroom examples there, it really gives the reader a window into what's possible. And I think that's another nice piece that the video package offers as well. We do have, for each issue, for each topic, there is a featured teacher. And then we offer some little examples, some more tight examples, not fleshed out whole look at it, to see what that might look like in another grade level. Because we wanted to avoid the possibility that a second grade teacher would read the book and look at a fifth grade example and go, well, of course her kids can do that kind of thinking because they're in the fifth grade. So if we had a fifth grade as the lead example, then we might have a primary example that's supporting that one, but that isn't as fleshed out. Just to kind of indicate that this can still happen. It might just look a little different or be a little less complex. Mm -hmm. How would you like educators to use the book? I would hope that what teachers would do with the text is to read it all the way through and kind of get a feel for the scope of what this can look like. And then either choose one of the topics that we include in the text and run with the set of books that we line out and try it, or simply step back from reading the whole text and walk away with that sort of framework in their head and choose a topic that they are passionate about, select the text, and move through it on their own. But what we're hoping is that it opens up windows that allow them to look at approaching curriculum in a different way, the use of children's literature in a different way, and that it opens the door and invites them to step through. We're not wanting them to look at it as a prescriptive approach. We're not saying you need to follow this in a linear lockstep way because there's nothing about anything either of us does that fits that kind of thinking. We're wanting you to look at this as a set of options and then to decide for yourself what works in the context that you are in 
with the library that you have access to and the teaching that you're comfortable with, what next step can you take? And it might take several rounds of that for you to you know, move full-fledged into what the examples are in the text. But whatever small step you're willing to take, I'm hoping this leads you toward that. I would add that I would encourage the reader to start with the introduction because I think that that introduction is, is really the core of the rationale for why we think this work is important. Mm-hmm. And, and I think before we, and, and I know Lester says this a lot as well, that before we ever get into the what of what we're doing and the how of doing that, we really need to make sure that we understand the why. And so I would encourage the readers to start with that introduction. And we also purposely put that identity chapter right up front because we also believe that it's important to understand who we are. And we write that in the book as well as the authors, but we encourage the teachers to go through some of the exercises that we provide in the book uh, before they do this work with their children to explore their own identity, for instance, with that chapter and open themselves up as a human being with the students in their classroom as well to help create that safe community space. And so whatever order they want to read the chapters, I think, they have to do what's best for them, but I would encourage them to actually try out some of the, the activities to really engage in the, the material in, in each chapter. I don't think you can ask your kids to be vulnerable if you're not willing to be. You know, I, I think it's an arrogant stance to ask your children to do anything you're not willing to do in their presence. Write, do long division, make a hypothesis in science, or to share your inner thoughts to confront your own biases, to take a step to help someone. This is not a do-as-I-say kind of model. You know, this is, we're doing this together. We're reading these books and we're having these conversations, and you should share what you're thinking. Not in a preachy stance, but it's human to human. And it might be the kind of thing, if you're teaching fourth graders, you say something like, when I was nine and I was in the fourth grade, do you know what people used to believe? And you know how we, and then you just sort of maybe lay that out and lay it on the line. In the introduction, we do take the risk of being very honest about our own childhood and how this work came about and why we think it's important. And we're hoping that teachers will embrace that. In the introduction, we offer you some opportunities to reflect on some things. We suggest that you jot some things down in a couple of places and Give yourself a chance to be open and honest with yourself. We're not asking that you share it with anybody, but in the privacy of your own reading space, open your notebook and just be honest Mm -hmm. and see where that takes you. Whether or not you share all of that with your students, you would have to decide if that's appropriate. Yeah, I always say, yes, we teach students, but we teach children. And children are human beings, right? We're, We're all humans. And so I think it's important for us to to get on their level, to sit on the floor with the kids, Mm -hmm. that it's not about us as an authoritarian figure, but it's not our classroom as the teachers, it's it's their classroom. And the children really need to, their voices need to be heard. And, And I think that making ourselves vulnerable in a way that we share our stories, and of course, yeah, we can choose how much or as little that we want to share, but that's what's really going to help the children recognize that we're human beings too. And I think that when we do things like that, we'll see a greater 
classroom community will have less problems with classroom management, a much more cohesive family or tribe that really share common goals and understanding. As we start on this work, what if we meet some resistance outside of our classroom? How should we manage that? I'll take a cue from one of the schools that we worked with. And in that school, they were looking at the identity topic. And in that topic, one of the books read was Morris Micklewhite and the Tangerine Dress, and another book called Sparkle Boy. And a child, you know, raises the question, oh, that kid's transgender. And I asked the administrator in that building, you know, did you send out anything ahead of time to kind of let parents know you're approaching this topic and these two books are going to be there and it might raise this concept or question in the heads of kids or, you know, just she's her response to me was, you know, when you flag something like that, you suggest to the public that this should be problematic. And she says, what we're doing is reading the spectrum of the topic. I mean, you know, so we're looking at all types of identity and that across that spectrum, there are lots of human beings. And she said one parent did come in and said, you know, I'm just curious, you know, why this is, you know, what are they reading? Why is this a topic in my house now? Not upset, just curious. And she loaned him the books and he read the books and he came back to her and said, you know, this was helpful. It gives me a way to talk about it. And I think that approach to something, rather than flagging it out as, okay, we're going to read about the Holocaust. This might make you nervous. We're going to read about refugees. This might make you nervous. We're going to read about identity. This might make you nervous. Suggest to people that you already believe that it may be crossing a line. And I think that just, I guess it depends on your community's norms. And you have to know your community well to know what you would decide to do. But in this case, it seemed like a most logical response. And the reaction to it was to invite them, let me show you what they read. And it just seemed to work really well. Our thanks to Lester and Katie for their time today. If you'd like to learn more about their new book, Reading to Make a Difference, Using Literature to Help Students Speak Freely, Think Deeply, and Take Action, Check out the Heinemann website where you can read a sample chapter of the book, and you can also read blogs, check out videos, and more from Lester and Katie, as well as follow both authors on Twitter. You can find links to their Twitter handles on Heinemann.com or blog.heinemann.com. Thanks for listening.